Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing The Evil Dead, directed by Sam Raimi, The Evil Dead 2, directed by Sam Raimi, The Blair Witch Project, directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, and then we have newly released The Many Saints of Newark by Alan Taylor, and No Time to Die, directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how we doing, baby? Tom and boy, how's it going? Ah, it's going okay. It's going all right. Um, I'm excited for this week, personally. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a big week, and you have a little bit of still October, some scary, spooky stuff in there, and um, some big releases as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, I've been pleasantly surprised with a lot of the uh, a lot of the films coming out in theaters. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a lot that we can unpack. Big releases for the year coming out, uh, and mixing that in with the horror, it's been refreshing. Uh, I've been really enjoying watching these films uh, week week after week. So excited to talk about them, especially one in particular. There's a revisit that uh, I'm ecstatic for. Okay, uh, well, let's jump into it right away. We're going to start, of course, with the earliest, as always, The Evil Dead, directed by Sam Raimi. Okay, so The Evil Dead, uh, this, of course, is... The cult classic, I feel like The Evil Dead is, the film franchise is probably one of those films when you say is a cult classic, has a cult following, is something that you're kind of shown and introduced to a film, that is... And this is the one. Sam Raimi is getting his start with The Evil Dead. Of course, Sam Raimi goes on to direct the Spider-Man movies. Uh, Later on in his career, he handles The Evil Dead, The Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, uh, and a few others. I was revisiting these movies because I was not ever a part of a cult following with The Evil Dead. It was something to me that I was aware of these films, to be honest, and maybe even a sneak preview at what a, a special may be uh, for, for the podcast is I was looking through the vast amount of different types of horror zombie films and was seeing how The Evil Dead plays into, uh, plays into all of this. Basically, the gist of it here is that you have Cabin in the Woods, I believe it's actually in Pennsylvania. It is a Pennsylvania film, I believe. Fantastic. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> which is cool, which is cool. And four friends go there, and obviously evil is foreboding in the shadows. Uh, I think that is where this film has a highlight, is the feel of the particular malice, the particular type of uh, shadows watching, uh, always being observed by something maybe more powerful. This film does a very good job with creating moments that 
you know your characters, our characters in this film, are walking into a really bad situation. And it succeeds at a horror level in that way that you know they are going to be victim to something. So they set the stage really well. Absolutely. At a core of this is great visuals from Sam Raimi. This is his DNA 100%. A lot of people like to, uh, when, when when they're talking about, especially more recent Sam Raimi, uh, Spider-Man 2, there is the horror scene where there is Doc Octopus uh, and his, his, you know, when he's basically becoming the villain uh, and how hyper-stylized the camera work is, the screams, uh, the tracking shots. You can see it all being born here. The type of style that is is done in the woods, the type of style of cinematography that is on display, uh, it is 100% Sam Raimi, which was very cool to see. And was it Sam Raimi with, with Evil Dead, and it was good to see? It, it wasn't just his DNA, it was also good to see. For instance, that's Spider-Man 2, not mm-hmm. exactly is like the hottest film. Or- right. Right, relatively right. all that good. But. Almost cult classic in its own right. There's, there's a lot of reverence for it now after the fact. Yeah, so you saw it, you were like, oh, this is pure Sam Raimi, but also it's like, oh, this is also very good. This is uh, very good. For the camera work, absolutely. Okay. Uh, you read my mind, though, as far as kind of bridging this into maybe some of the more criticism that I have to this film. I was not coming out of this film very hot on it, mainly because in the in the lineage of this or in, in the filmography, you have The Evil Dead, The Evil Dead 2, and then Army of Darkness that come through. This movie gets completely retread by Evil Dead 2, which we'll touch on just a moment, uh, almost beat for beat. Some is good, some is bad to this, but when it comes to this first iteration of Evil Dead, it feels like the visuals, they are at their best in this entire trilogy. Unfortunately, it feels like the characters, the script, Bruce Campbell as really the star of this trilogy, mm-hmm. it is at its worst. I'll be honest, the characters uh, or the, the, you know, the, the actors of how they're dealing with the horror on screen, I don't know if it's the script or I don't know if it's definitely supposed to be tongue-in-cheek and campy. It is downright frustrating how idiotic they are on screen. Uh, <laughs> it, is, it is rough uh, huh, to, okay. to see. As far as... Is it almost like classic bad? Or it, it, should I say, when you're watching it, you're just like, oh, are you kidding me? Really? We're going down this right. road? Uh, it's not so much that... Uh, it definitely has a novel plot. I mean, uh, as far as the specifics of the evil being unleashed, that the evil that they uncover in this cabin, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, uh, tied to an ancient book, basically, that is going to be the center point of this full trilogy. Okay. Like Jumanji? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty Start much. Playing, yeah. yeah. Uh, or rather, Jumanji maybe sounds like it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, so this is 1981. Yeah. But that didn't help it at all. No, I, I think actually the practical effects were a standout for me, uh, especially towards the end. Uh, they get very creative. And honestly, I'm happy to say it's even though there's a retread of themes almost in every one of these films in this trilogy, Evil Dead 1 does stand apart in, I think, honestly, a lot of the practical effects are at their best. I don't know why that is the case. You'd think that would wild, be the inverse honestly. way. It yeah. totally would be the inverse way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the feeling I'm coming out of this, especially as someone that was not necessarily a fan, a follower of, of the, the cult following of this, of this movie, I'm really coming out of this very lukewarm... It was not the type of entertainment that I want. Uh, this is definitely the most horror of the three movies. Yeah, which you just categorize as straight classic horror. 
Mm-hmm. No, like suspense thriller horror, right. right? This is just like through this and through a horror movie. Demonic, possession, uh, cabin in the woods, you know, uncovering evil, sure. you know. that that is, that is what this is about. There is co- a comedy, naturally, in this film. There is also comedy in the writing, in the script, and, and what the characters are put into, into the situations. For instance, the particular type of evil that un- over, uh, overcomes our characters... It's very wacky. It's very manic, which you'll see in the later films, they really amp up and it becomes slowly and slowly more of a 50-50 of horror and comedy. Like a, like a uh, scream? Not scream. Um, like a scary movie. Uh, well, maybe not that. It's it's not doing like uh, any kind of references or anything okay, like right, that, right. but it is, <laughs> it, is, it is definitely a goofball film franchise. Uh, it is going more and more for comedy. Not so much in the first one. It's just there's hints of it. Yes, there's hints in it, and I think that's, uh, once again, a reason to possibly uh, visit the first Evil Dead, but the elephant in the room and anyone that knows this film franchise and has seen Evil Dead 1 and 2 will know is that Evil Dead 2 is basically a re-roll of the entire first film uh, with better production, more of an understanding of that it's a 50-50 horror comedy, hmm. and definitely more of a spotlight on who is our favorite actor in this whole thing, Bruce Campbell, uh, who is great on the I don't on know screen. how I feel about that, though, overall. Well, I guess we'll... Yeah, I wonder how you feel about it. I think I think there's there's definitely value in the film understanding what it is rather than being confused. Uh, And you know, I believe me, I will give it some uh, some slack in the sense that this is Sam Raimi's first film. You know, I mean, we can we can first yeah first film eighty one. I want to make a point too here. Mm -hmm. It's nineteen eighty one. It's only an hour and twenty five minutes long, and it's 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 got an NC seventeen rating. Yes, the only one with the NC seventeen. Yeah, so I mean, it's just like he has a lot. If you just look at the stats, kind of of this film, or Mm -hmm. look at the you know ten thousand foot view, it's almost like how could this be good? Right. (laughs) Right. You're picturing low budget. You're Mm -hmm. picturing extreme gore or something like that. Something that's not meant for wide audiences and everything like that. But and uh, but I'm assuming that the hour and twenty five minutes helps it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, do you feel uh, that way? I mean, definitely more snappy. Uh, again, I mean, if there's anything that I'm hyper focused on is just how idiotic these characters are on screen, mm. and not in a good way. It, it took me out of the. It, it took me out of it. Uh, we'll definitely revisit some of the movies uh, as far as horror wise that I'm I'm touching on that thankfully have very competent characters at the helm and how enjoyable it is to watch a horror protagonist effectively go through a story this is not the movie for that yeah it's very interesting you said that you do want to see competent characters Mm -hmm. because it brings i don't want to say it brings a realism i mean watching you know it's a horror film it's Mm -hmm. but but it it does bring a sort of realism that you can relatableness to it kind Mm -hmm. of when you just have like goofy goofy and it's totally unrealistic unrelatable you get that sense that you're out of out of the film or something like that exactly and and later on in the franchise this film understands that it's not trying to be realistic you know it's it's going for much more of a a self-aware type of comedy horror built into it and it does work better uh but i think for this entry it kind of falls into a weird first iteration and i i think as well if we're going to go to the cult following of this i think anyone that is a fan of this franchise will say uh evil dead 2 is really really where it's at uh, as far as all of those but overall i think it's a little bit of a pass for me uh didn't really live up to the hype especially for what the sequel does uh and really almost recap 
the entire film, leaving a very soft recommendation that if you're in love with Raimi as a director, if you're in love with horror camp as a kind of a very subgenre or horror comedy as a genre, I think that's definitely something that you, you got to have to be self-aware of your own biases and, and what you want to come to a movie with uh, or what, what you're looking in a film, rather. For me, though, The Evil Dead uh, was not something that I think was worth a, a huge following and definitely not worth your time uh, more than uh, a morbid curiosity to see maybe some of the roots of Raimi's directing style and obviously the start of this trilogy. Yeah, then. yeah. We will go ahead and give The Evil Dead a 43. Oh, okay, 43. Okay, that, that makes sense how he was talking about it. Yeah, I, I think uh, it doesn't go too much lower because there's a lot, there are, there are some standout aspects, but overall, uh, moving on to you the second one. You can pass on it. Like you said, really, if you're only interested in the roots of this franchise and everything and how they get to two, yeah. you would be interested to check it out. But and otherwise. I can't stress enough, I mean, and this, this, this can be kind of our bridge into The Evil Dead 2, um, I mean... It is a complete re-roll, the, the first... I yeah. think we should just jump right into it then, sure. because were you excited to see... What did, did you realize, did you know going into it, you're going to be watching the same film, but just kind of redone a little bit? Uh, I think I had some awareness of uh, the, the thought process among fr- fans is, hey, don't bother with Evil Dead 1, just go to oh, Evil okay, Dead Oh, okay, so that was, that's, in, that's in the air. And I can definitely reiterate that uh, for our audience, Uh the Evil Dead 2, almost in the first 10 minutes, recaps everything in Evil Dead 1 and keeps it moving okay. along at a it, very brisk pace. Okay, at brisk pace, like I said, first one, hour and 25, Evil Dead 2, hour and 24. <laughs> we now have... Rated, it. Yeah, we're, at, we're six years later, it's 87, it's rated R now. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, hey, let's just give this another attempt. Is that kind of what it was? I, I don't know uh, the, too much of the production story, unfortunately, but I, I think uh, if you're a fan of especially the type of low-budget independent film production that Raimi was doing in the with, with Evil Dead 1 I think if you're especially if you're a fan of Evil Dead 2 that's maybe something to dive into because I I, I do think there's something to uncover there of why he was able to create this film franchise and more importantly why he kept on revisiting it uh despite what it what was it a 7 year gap 6 year gap yeah 6 year gra- gap so uh, it, clearly, this was his baby. It's a little strange, and I think that that that's a uh, uh, something fun to maybe research into it. I did not, though, going into this. Uh, well, that's kind of how we like it, actually. Yeah, it's like yeah. let's just hey, give us the film. I mean, um, it's... and I definitely didn't want any fat to my criticism with it because, uh, again, this does have a cult following. I think there's a lot mm. of you know kind of blinders on people that have maybe nostalgic for a this recently or... sized like a. a relatively successful video game franchise off of it too? Uh, I don't know about video game. I, they have Ash versus the Evil Dead, which is a TV spin-off. Maybe it's just Evil There's a lot of Evil Deads that come up. Oh, I think you're thinking different... of the Evil Within. Maybe that, yeah. but also maybe I could be thinking of other films too yeah. with that, that have yeah. Evil Dead. There's a lot. Right, right. Or the, the Evil, basically. You know? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, but it's interesting. So it's it's like, is it just a one-to-one copy? Basically. With, upgra- <laughs> with upgrades. Yeah, right, right, basically. Uh, it's a re-roll of the same plot while also literally to the point where you have like a group of kids or or vacationers in a cabin um it uh let me let me explain this way in the first 10 minutes it recaps all of the events of evil dead one but then the plot itself is as well kind of a parallel to the Evil Dead one as well. Okay. Uh, you have new characters, you have progression in Bruce Campbell's character, but in itself, if you, if you had to 
compare it from a spark notes you'd say oh this is just the same movie and that's and that basically is it uh that's why it is a it's almost like star wars where it's, it's like oh we just read the death yeah. star it's just like oh no this is here it is again here, yeah. here's another death star absolutely it's a little bit different but i it's think like that's a great same. example yeah. okay but in that itself a summary of this film very similarly it is you know uh, the same evil that uh you know the characters are dealing with the same book that they uncover, the same cabin. For that reason, a very similar plot progression of them slowly, slowly being confined, put into the grasp of the, of the evil around them, the demons, uh, and the type of possession type, not, not zombie horror, but definitely living dead type horror. This movie uh, 100% understands much more what it's going for. It is... Uh, my my note here is stupid, but not stupid. <laughs> so it's it's okay. it's a little bit more comfortable with being stupid in its comedy, stupid in the action or the, even the, the gore sometimes. But it's not stupid in the the frustrating characters that I talked about in the first one, where right. it, it, it was taking me out where something would be happening in the room, and then the camera goes to the character, and they're just still reacting to it. It's like. Do something, you know that right. really took me out of any kind of immersion with this film. Yeah, or so the first. This film. comedy makes it, it knows this film knows what it is doing. Yes. like it knows that it's silly. Mm-hmm. And you're saying this is silly right now, but it's like, oh, they know what's going on. They know Absolutely. they know exactly what they're doing, and it keeps you in it at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think there's a there's a refinement uh, to the product for that reason. Okay. If I obviously I'm not. I don't. I don't know the whole production history of this, but if I had to think, why would a director want to revisit something and take another stab at it? Uh, this is a perfect example of them coming out of that interaction with a success or, a, or with a win, because it's a better product in the end. Where maybe going flashing back to uh, Escape from New York to Escape from L.A. Oh my goodness! Why are we revisiting this when it's the same result? You know, that okay, would be yeah. a failure. This would be kind of a win in that revisit of the concept. It makes sense where you were like, this it's pretty much his baby. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sam Raimi's baby. And it's like, that's cool that he kept elements that work throughout mm-hmm. the first one. And he was like, no, let's just improve upon this. And, mm-hmm. and hit where we, yeah. Focus on what we're good at and, mm-hmm. and go for it. That's very cool. Yeah, in the re-roll, uh, and, and again, I mean, it's not that much of a film, but certainly want to stay for, stay away from heavy, heavy spoilers. Uh, probably the best part about that re-roll is a amplification, a magnification of the iconic moments, especially around Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell is center stage here. He Mm -hmm. is undeniably the best part about these films and undeniably the funniest part if we're going to really boil down the comedic element to it. He he totally takes it. Exactly. I think where I fall off, uh, and and I've even mentioned this before in previous podcasts, it's a little difficult to criticize comedy because it is so subjective and so tainted to the passage of time you know how does a joke hold up Mm. and and i think i'm a strong believer in that we're watching movies in the here and now there's no sense in really watching a movie or trying to place yourself in the in the seats of a back then there's no really impossible exactly and and comedy unfortunately kind of suffers in that viewpoint uh the good thing about this is that campbell holds up he is so entertaining to watch on screen that's when you know something's really quite good then because uh, you can say that with almost any any genre really type of thing as far as does it hold up in the test of time and everything like Mm -hmm. that 
uh, you know, those those you have un, you look at Blazing Saddles or something like that. There sure. are things that hold up, and that's when you know you have a, a, a keeper, a winner. Absolutely, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, may, and maybe that's just the mark of what is going to rise above the rest. You know, the cream that rises to the top of uh, if if something can sure. stand the test of time. Yeah, especially with comedy. I think uh, just sticking on the comedy, and especially with a mix of horror, a little bit. Unfortunately. Where the comedy fails for me is when the horror and comedy are one and the same. Uh, when the, you know, when the evil mm-hmm. in the Evil Dead uh, is delivering these comedic beats, that's where it kind of fails for me. Not to give an, a, an example to another movie, but overall, if my menacing, if my, if the, if the conflict of the of the movie, if the menacing aspects of a horror movie are not taken as seriously. It, it kind of just meanders a little bit. It's the stakes aren't there. Still add in your comedic beats, but uh, I think, uh, once again, the goofiness, when it touches on what the conflict is in this movie, uh, around the cabin, the type of evil, the type of possession that happens... Mm. Once again, it kind of kills it. That's where it falls short. You want them to be way more. You want them to be kept separate. Absolutely. Your, your comedy is good, but mm-hmm. give me comedy there, and then give me horror here, and give me pure horror. Absolutely. But you want that roller coaster ride. One hundred percent. Especially and, because uh, Bruce can hold the candle hmm. uh, 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 to the com- to the comedic side on its own, and we actually see that in Army of Darkness later on, which we'll you know of course touch upon probably next podcast. But uh, overall, I mean, uh, the near identical story. You know, I'm happy to say that there's much more to love here, and I think Evil Dead Two, much more deserved of the cult classic title, uh, and I, I'm really happy to say that because. I think you talk to anyone that is a fan of this franchise, they say Evil Dead 2, that's where it's at. That's where that's where the vibe is. Understanding that, watching this movie, there was certainly enjoyment. I have to come at it fairly critical, though, because do I find this something that rises above a cult status and is something that is a must-watch, is something that you have to make time for? I don't think so. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that works here. And once again interesting to watch the habits of Sam Raimi as a director uh, in the camera work, in how scenes are presented, in the manic chaos uh, of, of how the horror is introduced. It's, it's entertaining, but I don't think it's, it's uh, anything that's, that's, I would say, oh, before you die, you got to watch Evil sure. Dead too. And, that's, and I don't mean to be a bummer to this because it is ultimately a very goofy movie, uh, but I think with such a cult classic title to it, uh, if not one of the kind of titles to that, to that type of um, uh, category, uh, it, it, it left me a little, a little disappointed with it for that reason. Bottom line, that is where I'm coming at this with my recommendation. With that in mind, we will go ahead and give The Evil Dead 2 a 54. Oh, wow. Much lower than I thought, to be honest with you. Oh, really? Well, yeah, because well, you were because when you're saying, "I ah, this isn't a must-watch," you know, you, before you die, you shouldn't see it. You know, mm-hmm. that'd be okay. Well, it's not in the '80s. That's fine, right? <laughs> but it's like maybe maybe you should watch in the '70s or at least like no, pretty good. I was expecting '60s. I was expecting high '60s. Yeah, you're talking about. but yeah. 54. Okay, that's not. That's really not that much more impressive or much more of an improvement. Right, right. And and honestly, I I, I would challenge a lot of our viewing audience, maybe maybe even the the fans of this franchise, watch both back to back. Yeah, there's so would an you evolution. Even, I'm actually it, shocked that was 54. You sure? I, I was almost positive you were going to be high 60s. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm wondering, so let's say you're overall a horror fan. You love the genre mm-hmm. of horror. You love, you know, October comes around. It's what gets you excited. Mm-hmm. That and pumpkin beer, you know? Oh, right. So, <laughs> pumpkin spice latte. Right. And it's the question, you know, would you even put this on the category of, oh, you're in October, like, 
horror mm. fan. Maybe if you want to really, the thing is, it's not even that important. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll talk in actually probably just a second about okay. a horror movie I'm ecstatic oh, about. Oh, okay, good. Uh, but I don't know. I wow. think I think if you want popcorn with the boys, watch a comedy film kind of thing, but spooky themes. That's Evil Dead franchise. Throw it on. But as you know, far that, as that's the elevator. As pitch. far as horror franchise goes, mm-hmm. as far as classic scary or those kind of spooky spooky aimed yeah. movies. Wow, even that. Okay. Yeah. Well, the and that's right being real be. with it. No, of course, I mean? absolutely. Yeah. Wow, wonderful. Yeah. And again, like you said, if people want to write into us and kind of give their perspective or <laughs> right. those There's cult, a lot of love for that film. So. Like you said, cold following. Yes. They're not gonna be happy about it, but whatever. <laughs> they can make their own podcast. That's the whole point. Um let's well, it sounds like the next one we're gonna have some better numbers on. Let's go with that uh the Blair Witch Project, oh, which man. that's a name that pretty much everybody knows. I it, Isn't it? Isn't it? I am so excited to talk about this movie. Oh, fantastic. The Blair Witch Project, uh, obviously the early internet phenomenon, the early, I guess you would call it pre-Web 2.0. It's, yeah, very uh, interesting. It is kind of like, uh, groundbreaking is kind of a big word. But I think trendsetter, that's fair. Let's just trendsetter. Certainly. Uh, and you can say trendsetter for sure with what it spawned as far as the found footage genre yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in film. Um, I am so happy to say that, and I, I feel like you there's, there's not many things, especially in looking at film as a... As a creative medium, that you can say, ah, first one's the best. You know that that that's that's the pinnacle there. And I think, especially with you the low, you think that's rare. I think so. Okay. Yeah, because I think I, I uh, on the shoulder of giants, everything can be you know uh, improvised on and refined, tweaked, and, and everything. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's obviously the passage of time that kind of creates a more modern take on certain things. And when it comes to Found footage as a genre, man, are those some bad movies. You look at Paranormal Activity. You look at... Um, Super 8? Mm, yeah, a little bit. Of that footage style, kind of? Yeah, yeah. But either way, found footage as a, as, as a film category are really bad films in there. Really gimmicky. Not at all uh, anything that I would classify as in the masterpiece category or in, in you know, a, a must-watch. Uh, so it makes me so happy to revisit a film like this. Not only experience what I love in revisiting films to see the trends start, to see the, yeah. um, uh, the, the habits or, or, or the styling start. And when was the last time you would say you watched this? Um, like, what was the gap? Hmm, good question. Good question. Maybe like a 2006 or something. Okay, like so, that. so you've, you 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 really looking at this at fresh eyes. A little oh, bit too. absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely. that's awesome. And I think uh, what what is so refreshing about it is that that my watching it today. I mean, we we just talked about it. Uh, watching in present day, you know, there's no point in going back in a time capsule and trying to experiencing this. And probably it, no better example is this film because this film was in a bubble of how it was experienced, whether it was real or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously, all fake, but that's okay. I, I think, if anything, it's it's a shame to try to look at this film and constantly question in your head, is it real, is it not? It distracts what the film is about, and the movie is about madness. The movie is... Obviously, you know, if you're completely in the dark for uh, the Blair Witch Project, this is following a group of filmmakers, student filmmakers, trying to make a very real, very documentary style approach to 
what is a local legend of the Blair Witch. Early on in the film, there is a lot of conflicting information presented for the audience of what the town people think is the Blair Witch, what are stories that happen throughout the town as a result of this madness. Uh, and we follow that uh, in the process of them trying to make the film. Uh, so the film is found footage about making a film. And man, it is such a great movie about going crazy in the woods. And I think the key <laughs> to that is that it's presented in this found footage style that any audience member can very much place themselves in the archetype of these three characters on screen and how they would react to that situation and almost go through, you know, the seven stages of grief with these characters, uh, which is so awesome to see on film. I thought it And was... feel, because it sounds relatable. It's, if, if they're that relatable to it, that means it sounds like the acting for these kids are pretty good. Yes, uh, I, I think uh, the acting is definitely a highlight because it is very off the cuff. Uh, I think there's even some awkwardness to some dialogue, but it's, it's the realness It's like genuine. It. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very cool. And I think it creates a very realistic unraveling. If I had to pinpoint why this works for the genre of horror is because center stage, you have no editing that is going to be going to be a a huge time jump for these characters. There's never a point that we are not checking in with our characters after a few, you know, beyond just a few hours. So there is a very realistic unraveling to that. Mm, yeah. Uh, in basically, you know, again, going mad in the woods and trying to, you know, find something spooky, uh, find this story within the within what they're trying to film as a documentary within this uh, the story of Blair Witch, uh, and then really just uncovering the madness that it is uh, of getting lost in the woods. And, man, it was just so refreshing to to watch in that way, without, aside, specifically aside, from anything like, oh, is this real? Did, you know, uh, was this a real story? Is this snuff or anything like that? Which w which honestly consumed the type of criticism this film had uh, when it released At in 2001. Time. Yeah. It was 2001, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. no, no, 99. Oh, 99. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, look at that. And can I just say, I love, it's an hour and 21 minutes long. It's perfect. I, I love that. Yes. I love that. Absolutely. Uh, and and it's, it's been such a, a sticking point for me as of late. Well, yeah, so. we've been talking about time a lot, but just the fact, but when, especially when we're in the um, you know, horror genre, mm -hmm. give, give, me, give me snappy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, we all know what we're here for, mm -hmm. kind of deal. So mm -hmm. it's like, let's not drag this out. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Uh, the acting, the editing, the relationships, it keeps a continuity that I, I think, uh, once again, is a key to why this movie raises above uh, in a horror in the, in the horror genre, um, especially with the acting. Like I said, there's parts that are maybe uh, a little embarrassing, a little cringy, certainly a bit annoying in some of the actual delivery of it. But again, there is a enveloping there is a uh, investment that happens when you're watching this and you can very much put yourself in the shoes of one of the characters or just a fourth you know yeah. observer along on this camping trip and along this you know documentary film project 
but that's what really takes it above. More than anything, let's let's touch on the editing a little bit. The editing is being presented. What we're seeing is being presented from a kind of uh, behind-the-scenes content that uh, the filmmaker uh, character is is recording in the process of the film. What this does is it creates gaps in time. There's a little bit of a disconnect because I think classic classic problem with found footage is why is this character still filming? Uh, why why are we, you know, if it's truly like a crazy scenario, why are we actually keeping the camera on? Right. And there's a through line to that that, you know, in this madness, she's holding on to the one piece of what she has as her identity and she's a filmmaker, you know, so she's keeping the camera on even though she's, you know, everyone's going going crazy with this. It's all, there's this, these drips of realism Absolutely. that keep you engaged in it very, which is great. It's Absolutely. just refreshing, honestly. Yeah. With the editing presented in this way, we have cuts and gaps in time, never never too long, like I, like I said just a little bit ago, uh, but it hits on what, I can safely say, especially after watching uh, as many horror movies as I have been, uh, it hits on the key point. Less info means more horror. Yeah. That is the that is the the keystone there. You see this in everything from gaps in the edit, uh, which are presented obviously in, you know, the characters turning off the cameras and then revisiting them during a time of tense tension or anything like that. But also in the most brilliant moments of when the screen is entirely black. There is a transfixing that happens that you're just listening to the audio you're watching the black screen and you know maybe especially for when this film came out you could take a look at that and say what is all this hype about you know what i'm just watching a black screen this isn't scary once again the the immersion that happens throughout this film that those black screens those those uh, that total blackness that happens in some of these shots Brilliant. Some of the most important parts of the film. Absolutely. And again, just ties very simply into what I think probably is one of the top, uh, you know, the, the, the main cornerstones of, of, of what horror should be about is less information, let the imagination run wild. The imagination does not, uh, can't run any more wild than a black screen and just listening to audio and imagining yeah. what could be there. It's fantastic. You know? Absolutely. That's, yeah, and when it's when it's well done, because if it's not well done, that's it. You have a black screen and you're just tuned out completely. Sure, you know sure. I mean, it could be done. This could have, this could have been a, you know, a horrible film, really, right? Quite right. easily, but it, when done tastefully and done properly, that's it's it's the most engaged you can be in a film mm-hmm. is in those moments. So Absolutely, it's, it's, it's fantastic that they do it right. Absolutely, uh, and, and bottom line, you know, the I, I think for that reason, the legacy of this film is really background noise. When it comes to what we're looking at and what while an audience today might be watching this film, sure, there could be an awareness of. Wow, this was that that crazy sensation. People thought it was real. It was this guerrilla marketing that mm-hmm. was being passed around on college campuses and whatnot. All of that is background noise, and honestly, it, to consider that in watching the film today is a total distraction about what the film is about. It's not about whether it was real or fake. It's not about the type of impact it was or if it led up to uh, or if it lived up to the expectations of audiences at that time. I think it is a film that you need to understand has a very specific vision of placing you front and center in what it's like to have a project in the woods and go mad 
in the woods, and I think it just succeeds so, so impressively well at that. Oh, very cool. I almost feel bad uh, because uh, for original audiences, there's some distraction there, and I think maybe this film didn't get as much praise back then because it was distracted by that factor, yeah, but sure. that is why I make such a, a bullet point about it to the audience and folks at home making sure that you come into this and seeing it like any other horror movie and really getting emerged in the in the horror that is displayed on screen really nothing else like it and absolutely a must watch we are going to go ahead Ooh. and give the Blair Witch Project an 82 yeah very nice i was uh, very pleased it was on my list too. I, I just I didn't know where it was gonna land. You knew I, you were gonna like it, right? I think so. But I think when I when I saw it, obviously as more of a kid, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, mean, I was probably enveloped in like, oh, this is this is that movie that people think is real and obviously is not real, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, sure, yeah. Uh, it's that's it, great. To, that's really great to hear. Yeah. I always love. I knew it was like was certain you're gonna get a decent score or something yeah. like that. But again, I'm surprised again that it cracked the '80s. Very pleased with it. Um, and, just uh, to remind people too, again, like like when we're once when you're in the 80s, those are like must-watch films, kind of, you know. 100%. As soon as you crack the 80s for us, that's, that's a bit of, you know, that number means a lot to us, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, seven, Something that you should make time for. Absolutely. 70s are should-watch, 80s are kind of must-watch. Mm-hmm. Um, once we get in the 90s, that's when you're into best films ever created. All yeah. yeah, and and I'm happy that, you know, this and The Host recently as well, mm, yep. It, it, yep. It, horror could crack that, because I feel like horror... It's so great. Yeah. Well, there's so much made, too. Yeah. I mean, you don't realize it. A lot it. of bad. <laughs> it's a lot of bad, exactly. Yeah. Uh, very, very good. 82% for the Blair Witch Project. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very cool. All right, well, let's move on. Take a break here and just quick do the producer segment and remind everybody, Vin and I were operating off the value for value model here. So uh, no corporate sponsors, no advertising, things like that. We're operating from you, the producers. Vin and I, we host the show. We come on. I turn on the mics, and then Vin does his thing. <laughs> oh, you cut yourself some credit. <laughs> and basically, you all actually help produce the show. Uh, it's what kind of helps keep it going. If you want to be a legit producer, and uh, basically we do monetary donations, and you can go to our site, thedailyratings.com. You can go to the, uh, the donations tab, and whatever amount of value you feel you received from the product, whatever you get from our website, you know, do you find yourself checking it over maybe Rotten Tomatoes? Because Rotten Tomatoes is worse, you know. <laughs> and if you're just like, oh, I'm checking out those guys a little bit more. If you could um, throw us a couple bucks or, you know, a fun donation. We have some monthly subscriptions or something like that if you want to. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. We're kind of building a little family here. And, again, the value-value model, it keeps us close to you let us know. If, if we're not getting much from you guys, mm. we know that the product that we're giving isn't up isn't up to stuff it's not good enough and that that's going to keep us on our heels and make us changed and make the best product possible we want to do the best for you we enjoy mm-hmm. doing this and so that kind of helps us with feedback and everything like that so if you're enjoying this enjoy the website please dailyratings.com donations tab and whatever value you feel you received from us we really appreciate it absolutely let's keep it moving we're going to do the movies that are now in theaters or recently released online something like that but we're going to start with um, the many saints of newark yes okay okay uh so this one uh of course the sopranos story i feel like coming into this understand that much like any movie that would come off of the heels of a show I think probably most recent example would be the Breaking Bad movie, uh, which hmm. I, I think is an, a good comparison, uh, certainly similar 
high caliber quality to both of those series. You know, I mean, uh, considered some of the best of the best uh, as far as television goes. Absolutely. I think I think it's important to note that hey, if you dig The Sopranos, you're probably going to watch this film, and I, I think that that kind of transcends a a rating system in a way because there is a morbid curiosity, regardless of what I'll say, to see the Easter eggs for yourself. Uh, experience the callbacks for yourself, especially for the massive amount of gap in time that has happened between the show The Sopranos uh, and now this new Soprano story, which I guess they're planning to do more movies as well. So uh, not shows or anything like that. Stick it to yeah, yeah, more. Keep, I, maybe it it'll film. be mini. You know, who knows? You know, sure. what's in the plans. Yeah, there was a lot riding on this. I don't want to mm-hmm. say there was a lot riding on it, but it was definitely. You have Gan, uh, you know, uh, Gandolfini's son mm-hmm. is in it. Ray Liotta's in there. You have like a big cast. Mm-hmm. You have some old, yeah, old school guys coming back from the Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Callbacks, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, how did uh, how, how did it all come out? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, when, so, when all was said and done, how did that all be- right. culminate? Because it was getting, I want to say hype of buzz, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. And I, I think it is deserved of some. I think there's a lot of uh, creative stuff done with the callbacks to the show The Sopranos. But I think it's important to note for folks at home how, how I am going about this as a review is, does this succeed as a story? as a movie apart from the show. And I think that is critical because the movie, if they're going to make a movie, it's got to stand on its own two feet. Uh, apart from all the Easter eggs, apart from all that. Absolutely. Because it is Absolutely. not sequentially the same. It's a prequel. Right. Uh, so it is. It, it needs to succeed on its own. Uh, yeah, I think like the subtitle is like, Who Made Tony Soprano? You're right. So we know what we're dealing with here, yeah. You're right. Uh, there's a lot of characters, obviously, from Tony's life, but it's very interested in telling its own story around one specific character uh, of Tony's uh, guidance, Dickie Moltisanti, and what is kind of setting the stage for when we finally get into the show. Easter eggs are absolutely around, oh, wow, look how, char- how young that character is, uh, and... And uh, event callbacks uh, that characters in The Sopranos will mention as stories, mm-hmm. whether that's related to trauma or anything like that. You know, obviously, there's a very, uh, very psychological spin to The Sopranos. When it comes to that, there's really nothing that happens that is critical to the story that is connected to these Easter eggs. And I think it's so funny that you say that this is whatever the tagline is the start of Tony Soprano. I mean, Tony takes a back seat, and Gandolfini's son is doing a fine job acting. Okay. Uh, I think I think I enjoy him on screen. I enjoy him trying to play his father's character as well, a younger yeah. version. I think he succeeds in that, most importantly. But what is a disarray is that we have these moments where they're trying to add in these callbacks to the show, or even if it's just kind of a visual Easter egg, none of it. I think relates to a very muddling middle of the road mob story. Uh, and that was the biggest disappointing part for me and definitely plays huh. into again uh, how I kind of preface this whole review is this succeeding on its own uh, does that make sense no of course of course and it's funny that when you said that kind of like middle of the road mob movie I'm, I'm wondering is it just is the market being so saturated and you have you have those just the pillars of the Goodfellas mm-hmm. and the Godfathers mm-hmm. and it's just like I just feel like everything's chasing that a little bit mm. and are we over 
is it overdone? Are these plots kind of overdone? And it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. another. It's, it's it's just becoming saturated to the point where that's oh, another mob movie. Absolutely, like, and how, I I think this very plainly falls in that in that category. You know, it's not an easy feat to be a standout at this point. Sure, sure, it's not. It's either oh, do by the something way, new or copy Goodfellas, and this definitely is in the copy Goodfellas. Category. Yeah, yeah, and it never can reach that good. I mean, right. you, you take uh, Scorsese himself, sure. like Casino, very good movie, mm-hmm. still not hitting it. Right, you right. know, and then you have. Um, Oh my gosh, I can't remember it now. One that just came out on Netflix. Uh, Irishman. Right, you had the Irishman that just came out, and again, it, it, it's just like, oh, okay, all right, he did another one. I know, yeah. Um, and it's it's tough, but when you have the name of the Sopranos coming behind you, and some of the creators and writers sure, and everything sure. like that, it's mm-hmm. like you there is a, there is a bit of an expectation there, right of, right? of that not wow factor, but like we're gonna get something good here, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe dropped off a little bit. I do got to give credit. I mean, you bring up a, a great point. I mean, there is care put into this. Not only are a lot of the characters uh, and a lot of the Easter eggs, I would consider pretty good deep cuts into the show. Okay. But I, I really do love that the director was in the talent of producing the show as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I believe he did, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe double-digit episodes uh, as far as directing and, uh, and behind the scenes, which is good to see. Uh, a good trend and a good indicator going into this film that let me have some hype to it, but... Again, fall short. So that middle of the road thing. So it sounds like the acting was quite good. It sounds like there was care put into it. So was Mm -hmm. it the writing that suffered? Was it the overall feel or setup of the of the film like what 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 was it that brought it down it seems uh, like you have all the makings of something very special right, right. Uh, a couple things i think the plot is pretty distracted and uh, there there's a there's the, the conflict as well in the plot is is it, it, it just comes out middle of the road. Mm, okay. uh, there's good Jew- Jersey roots here. Uh, I, including you know some historical events. There is. I don't want to go into spoilers too much because it does relate to the B plot in this film. But there's some good callbacks that I thought was kind of interesting. Not in a way to say like, oh wow, uh, can you guess what time period we're in? It's more so. There is a, there's a good craft to the feel of this film that, uh, for a moment, escapes the the stereotypical fifties early sixties mm-hmm. mob feel. Um, and I was so hoping something was done with it, but once again, it plays into a B plot that not only doesn't take from that too much, but very much distracts uh, from what we're supposed to be caring about, which. Oddly enough, is not Tony. Tony is probably third on the total mm, poll. Wow. Uh, which is, again, I, I kind of find insane if the sole point of this movie is to focus on Tony uh, and, and, and Gandolfini's son as far as, you know, possibly even setting up future shows and whatnot. Yeah, well, I think the big thing is if, if, it, if this is kind of like, you know, the many saints of, of Newark, a soprano story, you mm-hmm. could kind of dub it. Um, People loved Tony. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just what The Sopranos was. Mm-hmm. So you would think they would want to bring him into the limelight a little bit, mm-hmm. as much as possible with him not actually being in it or something like that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Or, or, Absolutely. So, uh, our main character being Dickie Moltisanti, he has a a very interesting arc, but again, the conflict is what is wrong here. And I think part of the delivery in that conflict is that if I had to define... Why, what makes a mob movie a mob movie is the rule of cool. Uh, you got to have your characters so cool, cool as ice, to the point that yeah. you want to beat them on screen. I mean, it really comes down have, to the they opening have, they of They have Goodfellas. a swagger about them, Absolutely. for sure. Yeah, of yeah. course. Uh, it really is pinpointed in Goodfellas that, you know, y- you want to be them on screen. So that's where it relates to it. 
the rule cool is not here. Uh, honestly, I don't think any of the characters are cool on screen. Uh, I don't find they are given uh, moments that there is that glamour to uh, the mafia. It, it's it's a shame because I think that's where, when I say this is a run-of-the-mill mob movie, that's where it dies. That's where it lives and dies, is that it fails to create this fascination how how was young tony like how was michael gandolfini he was, was he cool great. was he a, did suave character uh, did, not not necessarily he's definitely he's supposed to be really young in the film okay all right. uh definitely coming up uh i like his performance quite a bit uh, the problem is he's maybe given 20 minutes on screen okay of the right. entire runtime mm. Uh, I mean, that's definitely rough ballpark, but um, yeah. Uh, instead, we have a focus on the Easter egg hunt, uh, the main plot with Dickie, uh, a B plot uh, that is the conflict of the film that goes nowhere, and let me tell you, Ray Liotta, the worst part about oh, the no. film. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get with Ray Liotta. Uh, Could be the best. Like, like him in Blow is so, right. is so good. Right, you right. Enjoy, like When he's on screen, you're watching and some of the most sure. you're, most you're engaged. Mm-hmm. It's so off and on with that guy. What I is know. it? It's rough. It's, and I would say mostly off for recent history as well. You know, there hasn't really been a really good hit that I can think of. Oh, I don't. I think you know. There's. There, I think there is one where he's quite good. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I'm gonna have to go back and think. Listen, I'm rooting I've for him loved, too. Oh, I think every. I mm. think everybody. I think does everyone is. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's on the same page. They want him to do good. Um, I'll say right now, best part of Wild Hogs. <laughs> Isn't he the uh, the antagonist? In yeah. That? <laughs> And he's phenomenal. He crushes it. But it's just Amazing. like, I, I, I love Ray Liotta so I love him. Yeah. I love him on screen, but it's it's unbelievable how hit and miss it. <laughs> maybe maybe he's just difficult to write for. Maybe. Maybe it's just, you know I what I mean? He just It just boils down to the same yelly, you know, Karen. Okay, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> You flushed it, you know. I don't know. It's, it's, that's like every delivery in, in these movies. Oh, what a bummer to hear! Uh, I, it really is. Um, uh, something to note: he actually plays two characters mm, in the oh, same okay. movie, uh, which was not only visually confusing but um, really odd because one character is very stereotypical mob, and the other character is uh, a Buddhist and listens to free jazz and it's I, I don't know why it's in there there's a weird consciousness to some of the uh, not consciousness there's a weird like morality teaching to some of the characters once again like many themes in this movie it's put out there it goes nowhere mm. were, uh, were there any other actors that got double roles no uh, that's the only one so this one. was not like a cloud atlas thing uh, no no definitely not <laughs> Mentioned Cloud Atlas recently as well. I don't. I don't know if we did or not. Oh, I don't know. Well. I don't. I have it hasn't been in my head all That's that much. That's amazing. Recently. That's amazing. Why uh, he really owed it to us? I don't know. I don't know. It, it's weird. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's which one was better by the one. Which Ray was better? <sighs> that I. The second one is just such a out of left field. He's, he, it's almost like he's trying to be a contrarian to the mob. Like he's like, no, I don't listen to, I don't listen to Frank and 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 you know the rap plaque. Uh, <laughs> right, give me right. give me free jazz every day. It's just like, what is this? You know? Oh boy. Um, but I, again, uh, a lot of these aspects aside, I can I I really cannot break away from the simple fact that if. If you're a Sopranos fan, this is probably going to be a watch list regardless, uh, as it was for me. Yeah. Uh, it really, that's the truth of it. Everything that comes out of the Sopranos world, you're going to want to see. Exactly. Basically, yeah. Uh, and um, 
possibly this has some promise again for Michael Gandolfini, the uh, um, you know uh, James's son, uh, in the role of Tony. I think this could be good. I mean, who knows? We might be dealing with the uh, uh, Sopranos cinematic universe, uh, <laughs> SCU or something. <laughs> but uh, you know, who knows? Uh, I think, uh, but for that reason, like I like I really introduced this whole section, uh, almost identical to that Breaking Bad film, which, again, almost uh, I, I I don't know what what previously was ranked. Uh, we did we did watch that, but um, yeah, uh, it is it's something that just falls into middle of the road, but difficult for what we do here on the ratings because it's. You know, it's 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 almost required viewing in a way. Uh, but man, did this movie not stand on its own? I think that's where I have to stay true to what my goal is going into this film. Does it stand on its own two feet? Yes, but it does so in the most middle of the crowd, mediocre way. Uh, total not pass, and sad to see a mob movie could not rise above uh, worse than Goodfellas. We'll go ahead and give the many saints of New York a uh, forty-nine. Mm. Yeah, you're not even gonna let it crack the fifty. <laughs> oh no, yeah, that, that that was that was me being spiteful. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I mean, from what also what's been you know that's that's what it seems like, right? Uh, such such a shame. Mm-hmm. Here's my thing. Let's say you haven't watched The Sopranos yet, mm-hmm. but like you're going to, and you know how good it, you know. Sure, the and maybe even understand like this that. is a prequel. So my question is. You're gonna you're about to watch Sopranos. You're never gonna like it. So mm-hmm. that means you're probably gonna watch the movie as well because mm-hmm. it's just more content. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend watching the movie first? I think some people will do that because it is a prequel. So you know, hey, uh, maybe maybe like, I watch would, this would first. Would that be nice, or would it be interesting? Because it, like, oh, it's, I think it'd be it, like it, you'll it, be seeing the Easter eggs from the film now in the show. Maybe it'd be hard to say. It'd be nice that you're going. Yeah. Up, I would say most... it's like you start with the worst one and you just get you know right, go with right. the better, which is the TV series. You know, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, there is a build. I, I think that's a good point. I don't know. It'd be hard to say. I think mostly you lose the little enjoyment that the Easter egg hunt has in these movies. You know, oh look how young they are. And the biggest thing is it's so Tony centric in the in the yeah. show that if you're saying like twenty minutes or, or you know a quarter mm-hmm. of the film mm-hmm. is really we're getting Tony as well. Maybe it's like yeah, I was just it was just in the back of my head though. Like mm. you know, yeah, yeah. What, what would you want to start with actually yeah all right uh 49 not very good <laughs> yeah shame. middle, middle of the road middle of road uh, trending bad yes okay so this one uh very excited for <laughs> very important to me uh we we, the pressure's we, on. we we yeah we talk about the bond series often we throw we stuff do. in here anything yeah. spy related usually there's going to be some sort of nod there Absolutely. or something like that means a lot to me the bond franchise big time mm-hmm. uh no time to die Fifth and final film from Daniel Craig, mm-hmm. putting a bow, you know, putting the other end of, of the bookend on things. No time to die, man. What do we what do we have? All right. Uh, so no time to die. Very. Uh, I, I think it's very important to note that almost in no other time in the Bond franchise do we have a film that you need to watch some homework for. I think you do need to see some of the other films uh, in the Daniel Craig uh, series to keep up with some of the beats, so, you know, where a lot of characters are coming from, but most importantly, the theme uh, uh, that is core to this film. Uh, the theme here is one of the better parts of what I think No Time to Die does well, and it is the theme of distrust. Uh, It is this double-cross, Bond cannot 
uh, cannot trust anyone, and really... I, I, we haven't revisited, uh, especially because that will be something we tackle eventually, uh, all of the Bond films. Oh, Bond special, for as sure. A, yeah, as a, a, or at least Craig's Bond films. You know? Oh, yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it through the actors. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot of films. <laughs> um, Hopefully we do this for a little while. Right, it's up right. To the producers, they'll decide. <laughs> but uh, I, I think if there's any theme uh, throughout these films uh, to create a through line through all, f- uh, through all five, even some of the, the, the lesser ones is that Bond has this conflict of he cannot trust anyone. He's bound to be a rogue, a loner. Uh, you know, some films that is tied into he cannot trust his organization of MI6. Uh, I think this one ties in best because it is about what is closest to Bond and it's just his relationships then. Yeah, it's, it's the biggest through line through for, through Craig's. Well, first of all, Craig, Craig's stint as Bond, they, they don't connect to movies at all like this with any other ones. Uh, yeah, this I mean, first. they keep it through. Yeah. And, and that trust thing is... Is, is just the biggest through line through every single mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. Uh, starting with Vesper, going through that, uh, even even um, uh, Judy Dench's M, she, mm. even her giving things up. I feel like I, you know I have to know that I can trust you, Bond. Do you, you know, like mm-hmm. Bond says I don't trust anybody, and she's like, oh good, you learned something. I right. mean, this is such a through line of Absolutely. trust. trust. Uh, it's yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's really one of many highlights in this film. I think that's one of the larger ones I put credit into because, again, if we are going to go against the grain and create uh, a James Bond film that is very plainly a sequel, a progression of the character mm-hmm. yeah. versus just a new re-roll of situation and circumstance, uh, then I think that's worthwhile. You have to kind of follow through on the arc of where this character is going, and I think distrust being related in a spy film is wonderful to unpack with that and see how this character maybe not overcomes that but is punished by it and, and is put into circumstances yeah, and how driven it, by it. Yeah, how does he get out of it? It's a lot like, uh, I don't know, it's honestly putting a putting a mouse in a maze and seeing what he can do yeah, with it. Yeah, absolutely, know? absolutely. Uh, I would say, uh, as far as uh, Bond aside and, and Craig's performance aside, some of the themes uh, around uh, the characters seem to be a little bit of a retread. Uh, I think it hurts characters like M. Uh, he seems to have the same exact arc as Inspector, a little bit of a distrust of organization. Um, there also seems to be a good amount of baggage from Spectre. Uh, I think... MI6 as a whole kind of goes through a similar arc from from my memory of that film. I think when it relates to the factors around Bond, I think, again, no spoilers, the very premise of this film coming off of Spectre is that Bond has stepped away from the 007 role. The beauty of that is that we are separated from... Or, or I would say we would have we have kind of a healthy distance. The spotlight is center on Daniel Craig, and I really do think that's where the film is at its best. When we introduce side characters, when we introduce a lot of the other supporting cast, it's not that they're bad. It's just that I want the camera back on Craig. Oh, he is um, magnetic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it's it's a uh, it's great to see him on screen and and great to see uh, once again that that right there plays into what I said just a moment ago again uh, of if it's going to be an arc for a character that maybe specifically is arcless by by design of these films I I think it's it's wonderful to see that they're building on that and give such a good performance similar to Skyfall uh, wow is this a gorgeous film uh, we talked actually uh, you introduced it perfectly that 
when we when we've talked about spy movies or espionage type movies, we always talk about the jet set. We always talk about the the scene hopping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I yeah. think this movie uh, definitely at the same caliber of Skyfall, which I think had wonderful cinematography and and set to, uh, or, or oh locations. And yes, like yes, yeah, location. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't think of locations. <laughs> um, uh, I think once again it is stunning as a film, uh, so it's... creative in also creating a mood of certain things. Um, uh, I will. Uh, I, get... I, I would say this is the most beautiful Bond, especially for the Daniel Craig Bond. It's the most yeah. beautiful shot shot film. Absolutely, yeah. uh, it, it's it's absolutely in, in in a top ranking. Uh, I mean, it's hard to maybe compare set to set. You know, there's probably like a preference of like how beautiful certain scenery is, but oh, yeah, this sure, is up there. And I think where it stands a little bit above as well is how that scenery plays into. Again, uh, what, what mood, what type of conflict Bond is going under? Uh, there is a scene with a bridge. Again, uh, I'm not not giving any kind of major spoilers here, but there's a scene with a bridge, and this bridge is outlandish in how it's designed. It's a very European-looking bridge, but it creates such a odd unease that ties into the conflict of what's going on screen uh, i think again there is such a care put into the jet set aspect of a spy film and it was just nice to see that wow what we always reference yeah. of a james bond film having that aspect now did you did they you, brought it home yeah and did you feel it was i don't know uh you know was specter overkill when it came to specter had the most uh, locations in it oh, out that's of every true. film and it they went to many places mm. they definitely tamed it back a little bit mm. Mm-hmm. On this one, not that they they were traveling for sure, right, right. Uh, but they brought it back. They reeled it in a little bit, um, so you thought it was tastefully done, basically. I think so, and definitely wasn't whiplash. Like, I mean, obviously, a bad comparison, but like a Marvel film would be, uh, where it's wow, we're jumping around everywhere. Or mm. uh, hey, so, I mean, this is the episode of callbacks. Uh, we talked about Kong Skull Island, how it was just like wow, every five minutes we're in a new <laughs> location, uh, and and text yes. scrolling across the yes, screen. Yes, you know yes. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, thankfully, no text scrolling across the screen which was which was nice you know they were at least elegant about yes. it you know uh that there, there's a lot of highlights in that and there's a lot of highlights in the feel but where i want to direct some criticism is towards the feel of the action i think when the spotlight's on bond when the spotlight's on craig's performance when the spotlight's on the character uh on the setting all great i think where uh some of the disconnect happens for me is once again how the action is presented for Bond and for friends of Bond. Um, It feels very invincible. It feels like there's a chain link between story beats that, yes, this is a James Bond film. It absolutely has to have these action beats. But specific to gunfights in this film, there's such a breeziness to it that it just... It's it's not that visually on screen I'm not impressed with what's happening. It's not that it doesn't have a good rhythm and excitement to it. Excitement is almost right in the DNA. It doesn't have weight, though. Never for a moment am I saying is Bond in any sort of danger. And for me, when I watch this film, and actually watching it on a second time just to make sure that I really honed into what I'm feeling with this... Um, it almost felt like these action set pieces were just a beat in action to get us along to the next story 
dump of where Bond is going with this, uh, his relationships in the story, which hmm. thankfully is the best part. Oddly enough, the action I think was the weakest element of this. I I really just wanted the character development, and that's pretty odd to say with a James Bond film. You uh, know, y- usually you want the the action set. Yes and no. To be honest with you, yes and no. It's mm-hmm. just coming from it, thinking, taking that in, I would say, mm-hmm. I would say yes and no. It, it depends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting you found that, yeah. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to, you know, maybe it's kind of a, a no-duh that James Bond is obviously going to be the sharpest shot in, in the whole action sequence. Right, you right, know, of course. That he's going to, you know, come out without a without a scratch. I think where, once again, it, it creates a feel of low stakes, especially a distraction of what I want out of the film and what I think most fans of this franchise want out of the film, uh, which I think is pretty infor- important. It touches on the friends of Bond as well. Uh, and I think uh, some, some of the characters are just as bulletproof, just as, you know... Not not superhero-ish, but there's a, an invincibility to it. It just creates a, a, a lack of stakes that, again, the stakes are there in other ways. I felt in the action sequences just kind of fell short for me. That's not to say that Bond is the focus, focus point here. This is a legacy movie that is not only a sequel to the, five, uh, the four movies preceding this with Daniel Craig being the focus, but builds on Bond themes in a way that I can probably safely say has never been done before with a James Bond film. I don't think any any film has had the type of momentum to show the progression of uh, of of this character and create vulnerability with it, create emotion jo- both with the audience and in the characters on screen. I think that's a real big hit uh, for that reason. I just think... Oddly enough, for a big blockbuster action film, the action is where I was more lukewarm than I wanted to be okay, with it. Okay. Bottom line, though, Craig is at his best uh, and deserves the spotlight so well in this film. More than anything, I think, with the sequel baggage that comes off of Spectre, maybe as one of the lesser films in, in Craig's run, uh, it's a little tough for that. Uh, but uh, overall is a really wonderful capstone for the mm. Bond franchise mm. and going into it. And once again, I can't stress in no way that any other Bond film could do. For that reason, we are going to go ahead and give No Time to Die a 74. Okay. Okay, <laughs> 74. I'll right. deal with that. Um, I'll, I can deal with that. I'll, we'll, uh, 74. So let's I introduce... Thinking, I don't know. I was thinking 77... <laughs> We, we we have a trend, uh, folks at home, that uh, Tom obviously <sighs> likes movies independently. Uh, and, and obviously I, love see, I see much less than you, for sure. <laughs> right, right. We saw this film together. Yes, yes. Uh, Not the second time. I, I did the correct. second time. Saw it in theaters, too, which I think is super important for everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't think this even went to digital release. No, no, yeah. yeah. Uh, we saw it in the Dolby Cinema, so mm-hmm. relatively large screen, not, I, not quite IMAX screen. Mm-hmm. But Sa- great sound. Great sound Racing. and still a relatively big screen okay this this gets we have a, a yes, uh, much like we have many games where i call back to ratings or or we we have certain trends or or, or as we said almost even memes within what we do here we have a scoring system like my own for tom okay so yeah <laughs> we call it the 
The Tommy Two the Tommy Two Shoes score. <laughs> the Tommy Two Shoes score is and, brilliant. And here's how the rating. So we have a little much sub- more simple. Yeah, the much podcast. More we'll, we'll alert the we'll alert the producers. The podcast <laughs> running a little long here, but the, <laughs> this is the first Tommy Two Shoes. Tommy sure. Two Shoes. Yeah, I can't even say it. You're Tommy technically getting shoes six score. reviews. That's exactly right. <laughs> Here's the scale of Tommy Two Shoes. Mm. You can have, you give a movie zero shoes, <laughs> one shoe, or two shoes. <laughs> That's the scale. That's it. That's and it. if you want to mix it up, which I will, you basically have, okay, those two shoes are the laces tied or untied type of deal. You know what I mean? So it's almost like an out of five type of amazing, deal. Amazing. Amazing. And I'll just surprise, I'll surprise you this in the future. Yes. This is how it goes. It's just like, hey, it's just, by the way, I got. Right. I, have, I, have a, I have a score for oh, this Oh, that's one. good. Yeah, I, I like that. Okay. Uh, I, I understand there are problems with this film. Uh-huh. Uh, problems that I definitely realize, I understand that I see. That being said... For what this is, first of all, this gets a full-on Tommy Two Shoes score. Wow, both uh, shoes. Oh, it gets two shoes. We're gonna do one of those shoes. Is t- <laughs> one of the shoes is tied. We're going laces. Amazing. We're going laces untied on oh, the one shoe, though. Amazing. It doesn't quite hit that. Sure. Uh, both tied two shoes. It doesn't quite hit that. Right. Because there are problems with it. Here's the thing. I love. One thing we will completely disagree on. Uh-huh. The action. Okay. Fair enough. I personally, folks, love the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, they there was a slight change in how they went about doing the action compared to Skyfall, Spectre, and even maybe even some even the first two. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. they, it's very very consistent how they treat Bond and how, what they have them doing. We all understand by now. Daniel Craig's the grittiest kind of most get your hands dirty right. type Bond. Um, the action is different in this. The action feels different. It looks different, and it's it's more captivating and it's got a realism grittiness to it that mm-hmm. isn't uh shaky camera born oh true they the did, cinematography they the did, look of it correct they did shaky camera for uh quantum of solace yes in a yes. couple couple scenes mm-hmm. and they, they were really capturing kind of that born quick pace camera mm-hmm. right there with, with the action uh, the act, the feel of the action was phenomenal in my opinion. Mm. Uh, it, it just the feel of it. It was. It, I, I loved it. I truly. I was smiling at times. That's it, that's good. There's something about it that I truly love. Yeah. What I completely agree with you with is when it came to our extras, when it came to our other cast members, mm-hmm. some did a fine job, what they were there to do. Others, yeah, it's like, you know what? Just give me Bond. I don't need right. you here at all, really. Mm-hmm. Especially when Bond is the best part. It almost uh, amplifies that type of feeling. Right, you right. Know? You're like, I want the screen back on him. Right, exactly. You know? and, and, and Daniel Craig, uh, first of all, opening sequence, loved it. I truly, mm. I was as... Spectre's opening sequence was phenomenal. Yes, uh, I'm a big the fan day of the that dead one. stuff. Yeah, very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then with with Bond, it was a little bit drawn out. There was more to it, and it was I was 15 minutes into this film, I I, I was like so happy. I was so <laughs> happy because I could I could tell already. I'm so pleased with this, uh, and that pretty much continued. It really did. Uh, there again, there's some issues with the protagonist, how that's set up, and everything like that. I right. have I have issues with. Uh, the overall, uh, trying to stay away from spoilers, obviously. Now, yeah, look, see, listen, that's, that's the job. Woo, boy. That's the job. Um, it's it, the difference it, between one <laughs> lace and two lace tied. <laughs> um, again, I have, you know, it, it, it's, it's some of the story, sure, I have issues mm-hmm. with of overall, okay, what, what are we doing here in this film? What's mm-hmm. exactly, you have good guy, bad guy, obviously, and what is the bad guy doing? There's just some issues I have with things. Sure, that's fine. sure. And then I'm looking at the more I was thinking about this is you have to look at 
I'm looking at this as Daniel Craig's Bond. It is the most connected movies we've ever seen. Right. Daniel Craig has made one massive Bond movie is what he did. That's a good way you of could, looking at it. You could pair, you could go back to back to back to back. Don't even roll the credits. Just keep on going with mm-hmm. it. You don't have anything else like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then look at what Daniel Craig is. There's things done in this one that you don't get in any other Bonds. Daniel Craig is not like any other Bond. Mm-hmm. First of all... Daniel Craig was here to save the franchise. He did exactly that. Mm. This is an ode to him. This is an ode to the franchise for the mm-hmm. revival and the success of this franchise and the new kind of really worldwide uh, sure. reach that it has, especially getting into other markets, China and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, what this, Especially Skyfall, for sure, obviously. Mm-hmm. Kick that off as far as just Absolutely. breaking records and things like that, especially in the Bond franchise. So I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at is okay, who was Daniel – like this Daniel Craig Bond, I'm looking at this solely, and I kind of forget about the rest of the Bonds. Mm. You know, I, I look at a Pierce Brosnan who was there, and he was a great 90s Bond, but he was the gadgets guy. He was gimmicky gadgets, and he was kind of – he's what capped off the classic kind of the book Bond. Where Okay, classic mm-hmm. Soviets. These are the bad guys. Right, right. And we have kind of same storyline back to back to back. We have the gadgets. We have their same kind of even locations and things like that. Mm-hmm. You have Sean Connery that starts things off, and he sets the tone for Bond of who he is and why you really have this guy. Where that's not, it's not all that loud and bombastic and gritty and everything like that. But yeah, it's you, more debonair. Right. And so looking at Daniel Craig, this movie, although it wasn't a through and through the best Bond to a T film, mm-hmm. this was a truly phenomenal Daniel Craig Bond film. Yeah. And it, it it's, I, I agree with you completely, it capped things off beautifully. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if I like the way it capped it off because there's so much history with Bond. Sure. But if I'm looking at these Daniel Craig films, it was quite wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I'm even on the fence about some things, mm-hmm. I understood it. I got it. I enjoyed it immensely. I truly enjoyed it. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed it to the point where... <laughs> As Vin knows, one of my favorite films of all time. If I had my own, you know, if I had my list, if I had oh, right, my, if right. I had James my, Bond, that if is. I had my ni- no, 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 of all time, if I had my '90s list of all films, we know, even for me, Casino Royale is in there. Yes, not just as a Bond, like my favorite Bond film, uh-huh. and as far as all, you know, all films considered, okay, totally top ten, if okay. not top five. This beats Skyfall. <laughs> this beats Skyfall for me, at okay. least. Sure. Okay, maybe not controversial, but see, Skyfall had that buzz to it. It did. It did. Like no other. It was. It was. It got some flack though at the time. It people, could. People love ragging on that. Like it's just Dark Knight. It's Dark Knight, and it's a funny joke. We, we, you know. Yeah. But this is right up there. Um, to Casino Royale, I have fine, and I've kind of told Vin this a little <laughs> bit. Uh, it is not better. Oh, good. Thank it God. is not Thank better. God. Yeah, and for that's ma- that's the second shoe many- unlaced. <laughs> yes, and it wasn't a big question. I always knew, but I just needed to put it to words a little bit better. Think about it a little bit more. It is up there as far as it is a it is a phenomenal, phenomenal movie of my all times. No, it's not of my all times. When it comes to Bond, absolutely good because I'm okay with separating the Bonds and what we're getting. What was the deal with this Bond? Every Bond, every actor bond Mm -hmm. has a deal with his films there's Mm. the whole feeling behind him and with daniel craig we get it we get it to a t and we cap things off beautifully beautifully and and i personally think you get the most depth from daniel craig in this film which you said you love that depth you love seeing that character development that kind of stuff and again actually when it comes to action 
I love it. I yeah. do. And I, I and I'm excited to see it again in a third time. I'm sure I'll see it. I want to get that theater experience and yeah. even try the IMAX from the Dolby from whatever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or I mean, real 3D. I don't have any mm-hmm. interest, but maybe. Um, and I have to say the act, it, there's, there's, it, and they give hat tips. They do little kind of, e- not, Easter egg isn't the right thing. Right. But right. they, Fan service, they do maybe. small odes to Daniel Craig and mm-hmm. to the franchise as a whole, mm-hmm. which as a fan, uh, it meant so much. There was care and consideration into this where Spectre tried to do and it didn't match. Mm. The biggest problem Spectre had, in my opinion, was returning director. Mm. Uh, Sam Mendes did Skyfall and they tried to ca- you can't do lightning in a bottle twice in a row mm. and then they tried to keep it and they went all for it I like Spectre a lot the more yeah. I watch it the more I get it and the more it's just like alright okay I, I am okay with that sure sure um, with this I, th- I think they just they nailed it mm-hmm. I think what they were what they set out to do with Spectre they did with this and and, and also they, they capped it off even better than that and bottom line it's the finale it's the razzle dazzle you yeah. know everyone likes the end I, of the fireworks yes show. and I want to say right now not perfect right if we did spoilers I could I could spend 10 <laughs> minutes tearing apart the film I right, could right but sitting with it more and really looking at it mm-hmm. as the, the Daniel Craig Bond and I'm mm-hmm. looking at it like that because it really is supposed to be on its own from the get go mm-hmm. This already had special specialty to it. When you start Daniel Craig off and you're doing Casino Royale, mm-hmm. which was only done black and white in the 50s in America, right, which right. didn't really count, you know yeah. what I mean, as far as we're known as the Has, franchise. Uh, somebody, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, it was a franchise saver. And they were like, okay, let's do it. We're going to do Casino Royale mm-hmm. with this guy. And we're going to like, we need to save the franchise. Yeah. yeah. And they did it with, in spades. They did it uniquely by doing Casino Royale. And they mm-hmm. did it uniquely by capping it off. Yeah. yeah. They started we, they, like, they started big with him, went out big with him. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. I get it. And for that reason, I truly, truly love it. Two shoes, not both laces tied. <laughs> we're keeping one of those shoes untied, I though. I think you did a good job at, at illustrating why that second shoe is untied as well. And, if, and like I said, if we could get into it more, maybe I'd down the road it. or something like that, especially privately, yeah. um, you know, I have no problem tearing into prop. There are There's things that need to be ripped apart in this film. I, I'm very excited to hear more Tommy Two Shoes. I, just, I, I want to hear a movie that's only one shoe, no ties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I'm, shoes. How about no shoes? Uh, no shoes? Uh, um, but anyway, again, from the get-go, I was in love with this film. Sure. And the love didn't really stop. I had moments here or there, and I was had problems here or there. But overall, the love for this film was almost instantaneous and, and kept where we're Spectre. I had love for it, and it dropped off. Mm-hmm. It did. It mm-hmm. dropped off into just another kind of movie, and it, it didn't have a special. It didn't have something special to sure, it. This sure. movie did look beautiful. It was special. Mm-hmm. Daniel Craig was different in this one, but all for all the for all the good reasons. Uh, absolutely, uh, a progression in a yep. good way. And uh, people are ragging on the song. Love the song. Love the song. <laughs> love the love the tones and the somberness to it. People hated that it wasn't punchy. I'm all for it. I, the opening, the the opening music sequence was phenomenal, and the reason why is there were so many callbacks to old school Bond openings, music openings, I should say, the the title sequence, I should say. Oh right, right. Yeah, the music sequence of the, mm-hmm. the opening title. Oh, you're right. Actually, yeah, even to some of the the they imaging, went back, they uh, yeah, went right. back to sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, and even early Gray, uh, Daniel Craig kind of mm-hmm. uh, looking styles and everything like that, mm-hmm. and it was phenomenal mm-hmm. um so yeah kudos for that uh barbara broccoli did one hell of a job uh in, in procuring this and again they started it in a bold way they ended in a bold way and i 
for that reason, love it. I love that. I love it. And which makes me kind of okay, even though I disagree and not even sure how we feel about some things, to be honest with you. But right. overall, yeah, package is there. Lace tied, <laughs> two shoes on. He's two, out the door. Shoes. He may trip on right. one of those exactly. laces. That is exactly Oh, right. that's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I, I think I, we're getting a really good guideline of what the, the Tommy, two sh- uh, Tommy Two Shoes score system is. <laughs> It's going to be rare, you know, it's only because, <laughs> well, you have a lot of passion with this. I think that's it's good the movies you, I have passion yeah, with. There's going to be plenty that I see that you see as well, but absolutely. I'll let you do your thing. It's yeah. the things that, uh, you know, yeah, tickle me in a certain way, I guess. <laughs> well, Tommy, we got anything else before we wrap things you up? You know what, man? I think we're good. Is there anything you would like to no, add? Are I'm we going to roll credits? I love it. I love it. All right. We have no time to waste here, folks. All right. So let's just do a rundown. We started with The Evil Dead. Uh, with a 43%. The Evil Dead 2 with a 54 The Blair Witch Project with an 82%. The Many Saints of Newark with 49%. And No Time to Die. Vin capped that off with a 74%. Listen, folks, we thank you so, so much for listening. We thank you for producing the show. Uh, again, you can go to the donations tab at thedailyratings.com if you're interested. Or, hey, if you're having fun with us, email us. You know, keep listening to the podcast. Go to the website if you're interested. We're starting to have a lot of fun with this, so we appreciate it. We'll catch you next week, folks. Thanks for stopping by. Bye. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. You'll get a producer mention on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time on the Daily Readings Podcast.